Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. Our guest in today's episode is Jen Fan, the founder and CEO of Passion Fruit. Jen is a force to reckon with. She's done it all, but at the same time radiates the same one mentality like no other guest we had on the show. Jen has worked in VC for GFC, Lunis Capital, and B2B. She has built companies for Deloitte Digital and is an angel investor on top of being a founder. We talked about her founder journey, how she assembled an all-star founding team, and how despite of that, she's no stranger to imposter syndrome and self-doubt. It's a very inspiring and fresh episode. So let's jump right in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. And we are here with Jen Fan from Passion Fruit. So exciting to have you here with us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Very excited for our conversation. Super, super glad. And we, just in a quick pre-recording, pre-episode chat, discovered that Jen and I actually met a few years ago. So I'm really, really excited to see how your journey developed and how you came to build Passion Fruit and how this all kind of happened. So I dive right in with the first question. You describe Passion Fruit as an operating system for content creators. Tell us all about that. How does it work? Yes. So operating system obviously is a very wide term, but starting maybe from the pain point we discovered when, you know, talking to a lot of creators in the end, after the user research, we realized that a lot of creators start, you know, a passion that could be a newsletter similar to me, that could be a YouTube channel that could be sharing their knowledge through a podcast And at some point, they find themselves actually making money with it and even being able to make a living with that and uh, taking the leap, leaving their corporate job and going full time in. And then the business is growing. And what we saw is the transitioning from creator, you know, I'm doing this because I'm creative, I'm passionate about the topic to I'm actually a CEO of my mini media company. That's kind of what we want to empower with passion fruit. And that's what we mean by operating system. So helping basically creators to become entrepreneurs and helping them to manage and grow their business that could be really monetizing actually with our product, managing their invoices, having an overview of their payments. So really more the whole, yeah, managing side of that. Very, very cool. And what's curious as to when you first started working with creators, what were their biggest issues and roadblocks and obstacles and how does passion fruit sort of remove those? Yeah, there were so many. We didn't know like what to fix, which pain point or problem to fix. I think at the end we had like 
a list of hundreds, you know, things to fix in that industry. But a few of them I already touched up on, right? So when we went out and again, it came kind of from me starting my own, you know, like newsletter. I started Tech for Good as a newsletter during the pandemic because suddenly I just had more time. I felt this need to voice my opinion, to write about diversity in tech, to share my learnings about climate tech startups, food tech. So it started out as a passion and I started then to talk to a lot of creators because I even considered leaving the venture capital world. I was an investor actually during the day and at night and on the weekends, you know, I did this passion project and I thought about doing this full time. And I talked to a lot of creators and the roadblocks I really saw was that 30% of their time was being spent on creating content. So that's the stuff they're really passionate about. They're really good in, you know, and the 70% of their time is actually being spent on the whole administrative part and business part. And I think that's one of the really main roadblockers. And that's kind of what we are trying to get out of the way with passion fruit. And it's so true that, I mean, as an entrepreneur, but also creator myself, it always is this balance of like the tasks that really get you going, give you energy back versus the draining tasks, like maybe accounting for some of us and so on. Right. Like, so it's really exciting to have that feeling of similar to like startups where we have similar solutions from, I think Stripe offers like out of the box, found your startup type of kit and stuff like that. So it's really, really exciting to have that like one and done type of like platform that, that handles it all for me. Do you also help kind of newbies or are you thinking about that target segment a bit differently and like what support do they need if you actually start out? Yeah. So our mission is at some point, you know, to really empower anyone. And I think it's not even only about making a living, but actually really elevating creators to become businesses, to become founders of their small companies. And that really is the whole range we want to address, right? So from people who are, you know, starting this as a side hustle, there are so many people who do, right, like similar to you, maybe podcasts or other people who have a newsletter, YouTube channel, etc., to actually get started and to know, you know, like, what are my options? I can set up kind of a, you know, like a store where I can start to monetize. I can then also grow into different revenue streams. And then at one point, you know, really being, we have also creators who have, I don't know, like millions in terms of revenue, a team of 20 people, and they're running that with their personal credit card and a Google spreadsheet, right? So how do we really professionalize their day-to-day -day operations, their workflows, and build something which is really, really truly helpful and valuable to them. And I think that's really the range we are targeting at. So yeah, definitely also people who want to start their own business coming from a first actually passion project. I think that's the goal. Nice. And I'm curious, is there a specific, like within that group of people who are sort of taking their passion projects? And now I understand the name, by the way, passion. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's sort of how it connects. I really yes. like it. Um, now it's, it's really clicking for me. Within that group, is there a specific like topic or type of creator that has was like sort of your early adopter group, a creator doing a specific format or a specific thing? Or topic, maybe, yeah. I have to say the interesting thing is that they're all at the end very 
similar. So what I mean concretely by that is even though, you know, let's take someone who is a product designer and is sharing YouTube videos, then someone who's a newsletter writer or a podcast host, their general workflows and their aspiration to grow and they're feeling overwhelmed with everything because they're basically CEO, CFO, COO, I don't know, all in one person. They need to run the show in front of the stage at the back end of the stage. That is really for everyone, I think, kind of the similar feeling. So we didn't see any really difference in terms of like channel or platform or medium. And also the same for topics or industries, you know, like similar to Substack, you have different genres, right? Like the different authors for different genres. That's also kind of how we see the creators. You have, you know, the financial education creators, you have, I don't know, the lifestyle creators. So I think also there it's quite common. I think overall, every creator is, of course, different. But I would say there are a lot of commonalities among them where we would say in the end, you cannot be only depending on only one platform anymore. You know, you cannot be only on YouTube, but what we rather see is a multi-channel approach. Most of the creators nowadays are, you know, on YouTube or they started with Instagram. Then they feel that, you know, the algorithm is really toxic for them. So they rather move then to newsletter. So there's a lot of like movement also in the industry, right? So where we rather see ourselves as being at the center of that, no matter what you do, no matter which industry vertical you're in, you know, there's at the center passion fruit, which helps you to navigate that. And I think that's more where we come from. Nice. I have a follow-up on this before we kind of switch into more the internal view about how you build passion fruit yeah. and so on. North Star metric is obviously like a kind of a, broadly used terms nowadays and like everyone tries to find theirs and it can be very helpful to kind of track product market fit and see how well you're doing towards like progressing and building and progressing towards your milestones. What is that in passion fruit or like what is the thing that you focus on that you actually kind of optimize towards? How do you basically know that you're getting closer and closer to product market fit as you build out the product? Yeah. So we're building basically two things, right? On one hand, the product, the software, the tool, but then also actually a creator studio where we, you know, create actual content being a creator company or in that sense ourselves. And that's why the Northstar metrics for us is for now really finding this user love. And that could be, you know, the content user love, finding basically this audience market fit. So what kind of content is really valuable for them? What kind of education resources do they need? I think that's one part. And then in terms of product, it's really rather the user love. So not by numbers, but more how likely of, you know, disappointed would they be if we take away passion fruit of their day-to-day -day life? Super cool. We also use this as one of our Metrics. We also started doing like NPS recently, not so long. Actually, we also started with the Alice question around, yeah, how disappointed would you be if we would stop serving you? Which I think in the early stages is a bit more useful somehow. But like the NPS part is also interesting, actually. In our case, it's like in line. So the data points both are kind of indicating similar things. Mm -hmm. But it's, I find it an interesting question to think about as you build products, kind of like what do you actually use to measure success when it's all so blurry? And as you said, like, How do you even quantify user love? So thank you for being so open and sharing that. I'm sure many of our listeners that are involved in early stage product building will appreciate to see how successful entrepreneurs are doing that. Back to the more internal view, actually, which is what uh, I was 
as a psychologist, very excited to ask you, of course, like, how did you find your co-founders? Actually, how did you team up with your co-founders? And um, maybe if you could share a little bit more about like, how do you kind of balance, challenge and complement each other? Yeah. So around the first question, so I was alone in the beginning when I started out to explore basically this idea and the space coming from being myself a creator and talking to a lot of creators. So my co-founder Jens, we actually studied years ago during our bachelor and he was most recently leaving basically Get Your Guide to found his own company. He posted that on LinkedIn and then I just reached out and said, hey, I'm you know at a similar stage. Why don't we meet and see basically where we are at to just share the journey together, right? And I think that was kind of the initial goal. And we haven't seen each other since years. He was working in India, you know, for a long time and we both went our different ways. But just when we took the walk, it was in Volkspark, you know, Friedrichshain, it just clicked. Like we knew, you know, like the kind of company we wanted to build and the kind of values we both had was just very important for me as a foundation. So we went on a dating process, basically, as co-founders, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well. So we had, you know, different sessions. We worked together. Then actually, I reached out to Michelle, our third co-founder and CTO. She actually is from the US, worked in Silicon Valley for a long time at Airbnb as an engineer, and then moved to Berlin and worked at Shopify. And at that time, my idea was to build somewhere to Shopify, basically, for the creator economy. So I just reached out to her, called on LinkedIn. We also met for a walk in the park and uh, got really well along, went also on a super long co-founder dating process. Then I, you know, put them both together. So it's a whole journey, right? And we then went on a trip because I always believe when you travel, you really get to know each other on a very deep level. We took our plus ones also with us because we said, you know, they're going to spend a lot of time probably with us as co-founders as well. And yeah, we had then, you know, like a lot of ideation sessions, workshops, and really tried to figure out that could work. I took just, you know, reference calls. Actually, I think that's the something I have in me as a former VC investor. So you know, I called up people, I did my due diligence. So I think in the end, it's about, you know, gut feeling, values, data. But in the end, you just need to go for it because I think no situation can really prepare you, I think, for what you're going through. I'm sure you can relate to that. Definitely. And I think it's super cool that you took such a diligent and analytical approach to it. I think many people are kind of afraid of doing it this way, you know. So I think it's really cool to hear that, specifically when you're like a first-time founder, for instance, you have never done this before. It's I feel very kind of calming when you have a bit of methodology to it. And it also opens the process up transparently to both sides. It's not like, oh, I have to like watch you a little and then decide or something like this. It's more like, hey, we are on this journey together. Let's get to know each other a bit better. Here's a few rituals how we can do that. I think that's super helpful. One last question on this. How long does that take actually from this like first conversation to you actually committed and just to get a feel for how much time investment that also actually will require? I think it was two months as I can recall. It's with like dating the same, right? So at some point one, you know, we set ourselves a deadline and then one asked, 
already before, hey, you know, do we want to be exclusive? And then you need to yeah. think about. So it's uh, it was kind of that kind of process. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, and it sounds like Folks Park Friedrichshain was the kind of like yes. uh, the dating spot. Was that the, yes. for both walks? Were they both in Folks Park Friedrichshain? No, the other one was in Humboldt Hein. So <laughs> different people, different parks. The park is a good spot. <laughs> for those that are not in Berlin, we'll have to somehow, you can Google Maps it, I guess. <laughs> there is also tons of opportunities in other cities. But <laughs> it's definitely a good choice, I think. <laughs> definitely. Well, and I'm curious, I, I wanted to ask a, a question around how you're building out the team, but I would love to ask, I guess, the prerequisite in that sense. So you obviously you know, alluded to the fact that the values are shared at the co-founder level. I mean, what are some of the values that brought you all together and sort of underpin passion fruit and, of course, the values behind how you're building out the team and looking at new hires and all of that? Yeah, um, I think values was so crucial for us, and that's actually how we started the first conversations with each other. I think for us, just coming from a background, we are all second generation immigrants. We you know, have diverse backgrounds, diverse perspectives. What was really important for us is actually the whole mission around passion fruit to contribute to more diverse and equal and inclusive society to empower individuals over institutions to contribute to more economic mobility. That means in Germany right now, it takes up to six generations from being basically part of a um, lower income class to make actually the jump to mid-income class. It takes six generations in a family. And that's absolutely, I think, crazy. And the creator economy is, we believe deeply in that, is really a way to create the shift that you can, you know, it's not only about passion, but basically empowering people to become, it's a way of entrepreneurship as well, right? Like to create wealth, to make money, even though you might not have the right background, the right education, the right network. And we've seen that over and over again in the last years that all you need is, you know, knowledge, passion, and putting yourself out there with your content. And that's also what, or how we're building up our team that means two of our, or our first hire was not an engineer, but a creator. And she actually worked and studied, you know, for years. Uh, she was a, a doctor and she felt actually really unhappy with that path. And she started to create content on YouTube, on her newsletter. And that's how we discovered her because she put herself out there. And that's how she, you know, found her new passion and a completely new job. She never worked in a startup in the tech industry and she works now, you know, was employee number one. And I think that's really the power of the creator economy. And that's what we want to achieve, you know, more diversity, inclusiveness and equality in companies, in the society. And that's kind of the values I think we, um, where we're aligned. And that goes into further values, right? Like one of our values is be a creator, like, you know, really challenge the status quo, look for ways to solve, you know, things, just hack things together, like really being a creator. The second is uh, being, you know, have a growth mindset, be an owner. So a lot of that always relates also back to the creator economy. 
A third one is serve the community. We believe that creators actually with their content are building communities around them, which then again creates a place for other people to feel that they belong to something, right? Like they meet like-minded people. And that's why the community approach is also very important to us. And I think those are some of the values on how we also, you know, we hire and make decisions and evaluate within the team. Love it. Amazing. It's super, super inspiring. Yeah. I was just listening to you and had so many realizations about, yeah, like I think the world in general. So like, thank you for sharing your vision and creating so that we can participate a little bit more in that as well. I actually was kind of following up on that thinking you are in such an exciting stage right now. And like, there are so many cool things happening on a daily basis, but like, what is it the personally for you that kind of gets you going in the morning and it gets you really excited about working on this? Like what are your motivators? Yeah, I think again, it's really for us about, you know, so much more than a product or a tool. It's really basically the, the people obviously we're building for and the kind of impact, you know, it could create just on a very large macro level. So I think that's mostly what excites me the most. And just basically working, right? Like, I mean, up until now, or up until since last year, I was still an employee, right? Like as a VC investor. So I was never in the driver's seat, but rather in the passenger seat. So I saw and met tons of amazing entrepreneurs and it was super exciting. I deep dived into different industries and that was really, really cool. But now it's really being in the driver's seat. I think you can relate to that as well. I think that's super exciting, but also challenging, right? I'm doing everyday things, which I've never done before. I have probably, I don't know, every second day imposter syndrome where I ask myself, do I even know what I'm doing here? <laughs> I don't know, but I just keep going. So that's kind of, I think, a fine balance between excitement, but also... <laughs> Yeah, like uncertainty, right? Uh, at this stage. Yeah, definitely. And I, because you offered that experience so openly, which I totally can relate to, I, I think I interchange. Like, I have a three day cadence. One day is like, this day is great. We got this. This is awesome. <laughs> Let's keep going. And then the next day is like, how am I going to solve any of these problems? <laughs> Please, someone find a better person to do this. <laughs> oh, oops, that's me. I need to find that better person. And then the third day is like, I don't even understand what I'm doing. Like, what is this event? And then the third, like, the, the, it starts over again. It's literally like that. So it's a bit, I can totally relate. But what are your kind of like go-to recipes or tactics that you use when you get into these like insecurity moments? Because there is plenty. Like, how do you get out of this? Yeah. So I'm also still figuring this out. <laughs> um but I think what helps obviously is just building your tribe, right? Like having a mastermind group where you exchange with other founders who go through, you know, the same journey or challenges so that you just feel less alone and that you feel that, you know, it's, we're all kind of on the same journey and it's not only you. So I think that's helpful. Um, I think taking a step back is helpful as well. I think as founders, you get into this tunnel, uh, obviously. So just taking a step back, reflecting, taking walks, <laughs> I think. Yeah. 
I need to I need to take my, more walks, I think, as well. So relatable. I never understood the point of walks until I started to work in like startup founder reality in yeah. Corona times. Like walks are the best thing ever. Yeah. Leadership tip 101, take a walk. It literally can solve more problems than you think, I think. So true. Yes. So yeah, those are some, I think, of the things, but overall, um, I also feel everyone has a different way to deal with that, right? There's anyway, no one size fit all approach. For some people, it's, you know, sports. For others, it's just talking through it and about it. For some others, it's meditation and journaling. So I think you also need to just figure out and just test and iterate and experiment also on that level. Well, and, and I'd love to ask you sort of the obvious question, I guess, because you're on a Teams at Work podcast with folks who are doing work in the leadership space. And, and we're kind of talking about leadership here. I mean, you're a founder now, which is obviously a leadership role, but I'd love to almost kind of just hear about your leadership journey so far in your own words. Like, how would you describe it up until now? I would describe it in a way that I feel... I can do a better job every day. I think this is a continuous journey. And I think there are certain things which I obviously, you know, like learn and observe from other leadership where I know this is what I don't want to do because it didn't make me feel great when I was, you know, under that leadership. And these are the things which I want to adopt from it. So basically learning from role models reading books, obviously, and really trying to find, I think, leaders you can relate with, you can learn from. And I think I, I'm on this journey to learn from creators in that sense, people who share about it, right? Content, books, podcasts, but also from my own team. So our culture is very, very feedback driven. So we really, we're saying that if you have feedback and you don't share it, it's, you know, it's in your responsibility and you're accountable to make this company better. And if you're not sharing this, that means you're not making it better. And it's feedback is a responsibility. It's not only, I think, a gift or a privilege, but it's actually a responsibility. And that's kind of the way we try to become better leaders, I think, every day. Very cool. Yeah. I was kind of checking out the Tech for Good newsletter as well that you started a while ago as well. And I just was really curious on your own creator journey. Can you share a bit more about like, how did you get into that? What was kind of like the idea behind it? What motivated you to, to get started with it? And also, how did you get through these like first early stages where, you know, you don't have like 5,000 subscribers from day one? So yeah. What is your advice for people that start out? Yeah. So the reason I started with that was... You know, 2020, obviously everyone knows, was a crazy year for all of us. And it was not only the pandemic for me, but it was at that point, you know, also Black Lives Matter, Asian hate crimes, the climate crisis, diversity and all those things. And I felt somehow a way to, you know, like voice my opinion, share my learnings, channel kind of these emotions. And I found it in writing. So I really just started this as a passion project because I felt that there is not enough being written about the topics I was writing about at that time, which was anything, you know, that helps us to, you know, have a positive impact on our environment and society, as well as diversity in the tech ecosystem. So I felt the strong need to 
share that perspective. And I got really good feedback actually on that. I felt like a lot of people could relate to that. And um, it started out as an experiment and it was actually a way for me to put my whole self out there kind of. And I think that's really what creators are about, right? You're putting your true authentic self out there with this and what also makes or what helps to get going, even though you, you know, you're maybe not a, I don't know, famous person who has already a huge audience is exactly that. You just shouldn't care about in the beginning, you know, growing and likes and all of that, but more about creating consistently and just doing it because you want to do it, not because you expect the external environment to react somehow to it, if that makes sense. hundred percent, hundred percent. And another project of yours, Two Hearts, tell us about that. Yeah, so Two Hearts was happening around the same time. So again, a need, what I saw was, you know, a lot of people talk about the lack of diversity, you know, there's a pipeline problem, but also as an investor, I was seeing, you know, on a day-to-day basis, um, how still very homogeneous our, the environment is on both sides, on founder as well as the uh, investor side. So in the end, it's about creating a place where you feel like you belong to. And then also showing it is not a pipeline problem. Here are, you know, we built now a community of almost 1,000 people who work in tech and who have an immigration background. So it's really more a way to contribute also to a more diverse society again. And that's also kind of what shaped me to look into into the creator economy, because in the end, it's all about, you know, community building, creating content. So through those two experiences, I really considered actually doing this full time. But then I realized that I could have probably even a much bigger impact by founding a startup who empowers all of those creators. And that's in the end how the yeah circle was, I don't know, closed. No, that's great. And I think you mentioned obviously very clearly and earlier how big of a force the creator economy really is in this regard. But I guess maybe more sort of to the leaders and teams out there, like what, what can the tech community do better today, tomorrow to support to build more diverse teams and support those with more diverse backgrounds? Yeah, so many things. I think there's really, it's difficult to pinpoint, you know, to one thing and say, if you change this, then it will all, you know, get better. I think we're still, we're making progress, but we're so far away from that. And it goes back to, you know, systematic issues, societal issues. So I find it a really hard I mean, it's really hard to pinpoint to like one solution, but overall it's about, you know, it starts from the top, right? That's why I wanted to build from the beginning also a diverse co-founding team. And also now in our hiring of our founding team, it's also incredibly important what kind of people we hire first, because that would all, you know, trickle basically down. Uh, They will hire, you know, then other people again, and they will also hire other people again. And what I saw is that most of the companies, when they come to realize that it is actually important, it's almost too late because then you have built already an organization which has a team of 20 white male engineers, and then they are looking to hire their first, I don't know, female engineer. 
And then that female engineer is saying, no way I'm going to join, you know, this team. Like, I don't want to work with, you know, 20 white male engineers. And then it's too late. So I think you really need to start at the top and you really need to make an effort. I think that's also where a lot of companies fail. They do recognize that diversity, inclusion, all of that is important because also they are being under pressure. But then it's you need to have the intention. You need to go into, you know, work with accelerators or communities to tap into different networks. And if you are just tapping in your network all the time, then of course nothing is going to change. So I think intention, you know, is is one thing being very, yeah, putting a lot of effort in, starting at the top, starting from the beginning, if you can, and working with communities so that you, you know, attract basically diverse talent. Yeah, I think we had a similar podcast conversation just not so long ago, actually, and this like starting at the top and kind of thinking it from the very beginning. And in this other conversation I'm related to uh, really, um, referencing is we kind of talked about how important it is to have a diverse pool of candidates from the get-go and not kind of try to find yourself in a position where you have three candidates left and then you're like, oh no, but I need a woman or no, but I need like a B-book person and then kind of try to make decisions very late in the game, which makes it much, much harder. And then it really meddles with your mental models and things like that. So I think kind of not having it as an afterthought actually helps you to make better decisions because then you do the right thing of like, having a representative pool of talent that isn't only comprised of like one over um over kind of present group and and having yeah. underrepresented groups represented to a substantial degree which then enables you actually later in the game to be more merit based and say now here I look for talent here I look for how much progress that person already made what the potential of the person is etc cetera, etc cetera. so it kind of like empowers you actually also to make better decisions later on because as you said we as a world already realize that's important. So as a company, you don't actually even have that choice anymore to say like, I don't care about this. So what tends up happening sometimes is kind of that companies don't take it, don't think about it from the get-go, from the beginning, and then find themselves like very much under pressure to just like position people because they have a specific demographic, which is obviously not, it doesn't help the person. It doesn't help you as a company necessarily. So Kind of thinking from it from the beginning is actually empowering you to make better decisions, to attract better talent, to kind of move forward as a company. And it's not a it's not a contradicting force in that sense. It's actually the right way to, to resolve. And I think it's also to add on that diversity is one aspect, right? And there are also different layers of diversity. I think that's oftentimes forgotten. And then the second is also once you have them in, how do you create though this inclusive environment where everyone feels that they can bring their whole self and their differentness to work. And then it's really also about how do we balance those frictions? Because we are, if we say diverse teams perform better, that also necessarily means, and we can see that also with us, you know, in the company that we are challenging each other and we all have different, you know, perspectives Michelle from the US and we from, I don't know, Europe, Asia, India, then different genders, then different, you know, like educational backgrounds, etc. So there is a lot of also, you know, then basically, I wouldn't say friction, but you're bringing a diversity of thought for a reason in, but then you also need to learn how to leverage those, the differentness and the superpowers 
I think that's also what we're doing in the team, yeah. Do you have any role models actually in that regard, like entrepreneurs, companies, teams, people you look up to where you kind of feel like, oh yeah, they're doing like a really good job at that. I Yeah, I think maybe like role models or people I look up to just for certain aspects, but I would say there's not one, you know, like person where, who encompasses everything. I think in Germany, it was Verena Pauster, who was the one who kind of gave me the final push you know, just do it. So that's great, right? She's really an advocate for that. But then I'm also super inspired by, you know, like other founders who just built amazing, beautiful, great products, which we're using, you know, on a day-to-day level, the Figma founders, Miro, Linear, Crone. So then they inspire me in terms of, you know, that aspect. And then there are other founders who inspire me then, you know, from another aspect again. So I think those are it's just basically a mix. Um, but overall, I when I grew up, I have to say that I also never had role models who looked like me. And that was also, I think, what, what kind of affected me as well to kind of get very late into this journey. And that's also our desire to, you know, build, I mean, we have a bit of a chip on the shoulder as well, right? Like we do represent also certain people in, in underrepresented communities. And that is super important. Like we never had those role models. Let's be those role models to the next generation. Yeah, definitely. And again, thank you so much for being so open about it. But like I, I can relate so, to so many things that you were saying and, and it's really inspiring to also know that it drives you forward and that it kind of plays a role because I really truly hope that many of our listeners kind of you know if you do need that push and you don't have that founder next door because specifically when you are starting out it's not always possible to have them and it's I also needed a push I guess what I'm trying to say like I had this idea of like going into like more leadership development and kind of productizing that more and so on. So, but it was like super rough and it was kind of like all over the place and whatever. And I was also burned from my last experience and I wouldn't have gone for it. I think if like a friend of mine wouldn't have told me like, no, no, you're doing this thing already. Like just commit to it. You have to do it. I think it's so great to hear that. First of all, it's normal to kind of need that. And Second of all, maybe that gives our listeners a push as well, because all of you are representing your communities as well. And then if you do the step and you take the lead, then many will potentially follow. Yeah. We keep asking this question to every guest, actually, and we simply forgot it on the question list. I don't know how and why, because it's second nature. If you could go back to the beginning and give yourself an advice, so basically like, what is the thing that you didn't know when you started out and that you already learned right now where you feel like, hmm, if I had uh, a daughter, a son, um, or uh, just people I mentor or whatever, I would want them to know that when they start out, what would it be? I would say it's trust the process. I think there are some things which are in our control as founders. And then there are certain things, a lot of things probably which are out of our control, And sometimes you just, as I said in the beginning, there's so much uncertainty, but you just need to keep going every day with that uncertainty and trust the process. And then hopefully it will fall into place. Yeah. Super cool. Thank you so much. This has been one of the most inspiring and insightful conversations. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Because you were so open and so ready to share. 
And I think it's really, really, really cool to see what the world will look like with more passion fruits actually <laughs> coming to life, more creators realizing their potential. So thank you so much for, for building and sharing your journey with us. How can our listeners get in touch with you, Jen, actually? What's the easiest way if they want to learn from you? So obviously, as a creator startup, we're all very active on either LinkedIn or Twitter, Instagram. So you can just reach out to Jennifer Fan, or you can check out our website, which is passionfruit with two O's dot XYZ and yeah, sign up for the wait list. Nice. Definitely recommend doing that. <laughs> And I can also endorse the LinkedIn, Jen. You've been putting out some amazing posts the last couple of weeks, particularly. They're, the algorithm is giving me them. So nice. I, I'm a big fan. Very team-related, culture-related leadership stuff too. Hiring-related. Just um, I'm a loyal follower. Cool. Thank you. Same. Building in public, definitely. I think that you're really, really good at it. And I'm really grateful for that because I get to learn with you. We'll drop the uh, links to uh, Jen's profiles on LinkedIn and Twitter in the show notes. And um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening and see you and hear you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.